safer with the men in black being in the room too. That was good. Very good. Well, it is a joy to be here in this part of the country, especially when it's in the 60s. It's really a joy, you know. Uh, but I, I love this kind of meeting. I love being with preachers. And uh, I was talking to my son. He's in Bible college. And uh, <laughs> earlier he said, as I was preaching to tonight, I said, a bunch of preachers. And he said, oh. <laughs> and I said, I said, it just means a whole bunch of sinners. All of us are getting together, you know. Uh, but I, I do. I love being with preachers. I, my grandfather was a preacher. My uncles were preachers. My daddy's a preacher. My mama did some preaching. It was around the house, you know, but I grew up around it. And then uh, for 20, 23 years, I served under a faithful pastor. Uh, I wish you'd pray for Brother Sexton. He's very, very sick right now. And a matter of fact, the church has called a special prayer meeting tonight for him. And if you'd breathe a prayer to God for him, I'd sure appreciate it. I've had him on my heart all day praying for him. He invested in me, a spiritual father. And uh, there two decades, and that was wonderful. And then about eight years ago, when God led us into evangelism, uh, I discovered something that as an evangelist, I, I'm just doing the same thing I did for 20 years. Uh, when I go into a church, I don't go in with my own thing to do. I'm there to help the preacher and come alongside and assist and try to help keep mo things moving forward for the gospel's sake. And so I love being with preachers, and uh, I just... When I get in a group like this, my heart is helped because I'm reminded that we are in this thing together, and we're laborers together, and it is, is very refreshing. I love all the music tonight about Jesus. You, you started with my favorite hymn tonight, and can it be? And, uh, and these people know how to sing it up here, too. You go some places, and it drags, you know, and you want to preach on Lazarus, come forth, but y'all sang it right. It was really good. And I love the emphasis on the fact that we're sinners and Jesus is a wonderful Savior. Because sometimes we preachers get thinking it's about us. You know, men are notorious for this, but you ask any man, tell me about yourself, and he always starts with what he does. I'm a plumber, I'm a mechanic, I'm a businessman, I'm a... And we say, I'm a what? I'm a, man, I'm a pastor, I'm an evangelist, a missionary, a preacher, I'm a preacher. Uh, that's, that's not really what I am. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. You are not what you do. You're what you are. Martin Lloyd-Jones told a group of young preachers one day, he said, you boys better find something to rejoice in besides your own sermons. Because someday you may not be able to preach those sermons. But there'll never be a day that you don't belong to Jesus and he doesn't belong to you. Maybe that's what Jesus meant when he told those disciples, don't rejoice that the devils are subject to you. Rather rejoice, why? Because your name is written down in heaven. How many of you are glad your name's written down in heaven? What a wonderful Savior we have. To God be the glory. Well, I love the emphasis of this meeting and this, this theme that the pastor's taken of this impact for the gospel's sake. And uh, yesterday we had a wonderful Lord's Day, and I preached all day yesterday from Philippians chapter 1. Now, I want to go somewhere tonight, so stay with me for a second, but go to Philippians 1 just for a minute. I'm not preaching from Philippians 1, but we're going to take a pit stop there just for a moment. And I want you to mark something in your Bible. In this book that is commonly referred to as the book of Christian joy, and I understand why, but Philippians is really not about joy. Philippians is about the gospel. Please, please don't miss this. Every joy grows out of the gospel. 
every joy. May I make an application of that? If you rejoice because you had a big day last Sunday, that joy probably won't last. If you rejoice because the offering was really good, there may come a day you, you're not rejoicing. But if you can learn to rejoice in the gospel, then you have found the joy that nothing and no one can affect. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse number 4. He said, always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with, what's that word? Joy. But look at the next verse, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. By the way, the only legitimate fellowship is a fellowship in the gospel. I'm in a lot of preachers' fellowships, and I hate to tell you this, and you, you, know, you may know what I'm talking about, but sometimes they're, they're good and sometimes they're not. But the ones that I'm in that are really great and God-blessed are ones that exist not just to get together and talk to one another, but it is all about the gospel. And I believe this. Somebody said, do you reckon Paul had a preacher's fellowship? He sure did. He called it the fellowship in the gospel. Come down to verse number 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Mark it again in verse 7. Ye all are partakers of my grace. Look at verse 12. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the you almost get the idea he's trying to tell us something, don't you? Look at verse number uh, 17. The other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Look at verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, Time out. Stop and look at me just a minute. How on earth do you get people in one spirit and one mind? Is that not the struggle? Here's the answer. Striving together for the faith of the what? Do you understand that when the gospel is big, it puts everything and everybody in their place? And it's funny, but when we started preaching, didn't we love preaching the gospel? I mean, honestly, I, I couldn't think of anything any better to preach than just preach on Jesus and preach the cross, and, and it's a good thing because that's about all I knew. But I loved it. And somewhere, we get so busy, and we learn so much, and we forget the simplicity and the beauty and the power of the gospel. When you start out in the ministry... I don't know about you. For me, I, when I got in the Lord's work, all I wanted was to see people come to Jesus. How many of you remember those good days? And then we find other things to fill our time. And we get professional, and we really got the programs together. Something's been lost. It's happened to us. Somebody said, well, you're an evangelist preacher. I mean, that's your, bu that's your business. That's everybody's business. And I must tell you that for me as an evangelist, when I come to a meeting like this, and I, I love seeing people saved like we saw people saved yesterday, but for me, I think that one of the greatest things that could come out of this week is not new believers, it's new gospel Christians. And we'll tell you why that is, because that'll go on after the evangelist has left town. 
would to God, would to God, every one of us could sit with Paul in a prison in Rome or under house arrest and watch him weep and write to little Rome. That's what they called Philippi, you know. Isn't that funny? He's in Rome, writing to Philippi, which they called Little Rome. Do you know what Rome needed? The gospel. Do you know what Little Rome needed? The gospel. Do you know what your town needs? Man, that's very good, the gospel. I don't care what town you're in. People say to me, I'm in different regions every week of my life, and I like that. And uh, I, I enjoy it. I really do. Somebody said, well, you know, down south, it's easy. Look, the gospel works everywhere. It works in South Dakota. I'll be in Portland later this week. It works even in Portland. Can you imagine in Portland the gospel works? It really does. It's the gospel. But somewhere we got to hit the gospel reset button. And we got to get back to not saying we believe it. We got to get back to getting it to people and making it the main thing. And this is the reason I stopped off in Philippians 1, because I'm getting ready to take you to where it all started. You know, Paul talks about the first day in Philippians 1. I'm getting ready to show you the first day. It's in Acts chapter number 16. But before you go there, could I just point something out to you? Look at all these verses you marked in Philippians 1. Did you notice anything about it? They have something in common. They're not just about the gospel. They are, but they're about the partnership in the gospel. This is fascinating to me. This is not Paul talking about what he's doing this is Paul talking about what God is doing and saying to the believers in Philippi, you're as much a part of this as I am. Look at it. In verse number 5, fellowship in the gospel. In verse number 7, you're partakers of this gospel. Uh, in, verse, in verse number 27, we're striving together for the faith of the gospel. Dear Lord, give us an old-fashioned revival of gospel work again. And I say to you, there's not a town in this country that could not be turned upside down for Jesus Christ. We must get back to the same thing we did on the first day. And that's the gospel. So that in mind, go back with me now to Acts chapter number 16, and we're going to just kind of camp here, if it's all right with you, tonight and tomorrow. I have three opportunities to be with you, and this is one of them, and we'll just look at it a little bit tonight and visit it again tomorrow and visit it one more time and then ask you to go home and live in it for two or three weeks. I think that'd be good for all of us, because Acts 16 is a gospel chapter. Somewhere, I want you to take out a piece of paper. Would you do that? Everybody finds you something to write on. If you need to borrow something or steal from your neighbor. And, and guys, get your own paper out. I know how we preachers are. We say to our wives, you take notes for both of us. But she's not your secretary tonight, all right? Everybody take your own. Because I'm going to ask you to make a list. When we're done, everybody's list is going to look a little different. Because I'm going to give you a list straight from the Bible, and then I'm going to ask you to make your own list right alongside it, right, right next to it. And across the top, I'd like for you to write this down, gospel partners. They're talking about the partnership of the gospel. I was reading and meditating recently in Acts chapter number 16, and you know Acts 16 is famous, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, and this is the entry point to Philippi, and Philippi is the first place in Europe that gets the gospel, and the spiritual chain reaction gets set in motion, and do you know who gets a whole lot of attention in Acts 16, besides Jesus, who's the star of every story, but do you know who gets a whole lot of attention? Paul does. Because Paul, by and large, is the man that the Lord has touched and is using 
in an amazing way. And as I was reading Acts 16 not long ago, it dawned on me that none of this could have been done, not like this, if it hadn't been for all of the gospel partners that God had given this man. I said to somebody sitting at the table a while ago, every week of my life, I am increasingly conscious of the fact that there are people who have labored and prayed, and I just get to enter into the labor. I watched it yesterday. That young couple, Pastor, sitting over here, college students, 21 years old, I think. Y'all been praying for them a long time. They go to the university, is that right? And I watched them. Man, I watched them respond to the gospel. It's wonderful. Uh, Alexander's here tonight. He got saved last night, and somebody had been praying for him. There are people you're never going to meet to get to the judgment seat of Christ. I think the judgment seat's going to reveal a whole lot. And some of the preachers will step to the side, and some of the prayers will be brought to the front. Because I'm convinced of this. Somewhere it's the gospel partners who really help to penetrate Philippi with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So who are they in Paul's life? Because I think there's something for us to learn here. Here's the first. Let's start in verse number one. Then came he, that's Paul, to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. That's Timothy. The son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Here's the first one. Number one, would you write this down? If you want some gospel partners, number one, you need to find some young people to invest in. Now, this is powerful. Paul identifies a young man who's given to God. I personally think he was saved before Paul got there. I think that because of Lois and Eunice and the gospel emphasis, and I think he was already a disciple when Paul meets him, but Paul disciples him and becomes a spiritual father and brings him along for the ride, and he ends up being a, a pastor of a New Testament church, and two of the New Testament letters uh, inspired of the Holy Ghost are written to him. It's an amazing story, but this was the starting point for this young man. Everywhere I go, every church I'm in, Preachers say something like this to me. Preacher, pray, pray. We have got to have more laborers. Let's just take a vote. How many of you need more laborers in your place? Would you raise your hand? Maybe that's why Jesus said, pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest. Because he understood something we have to come to understand. We've got to have more laborers. May I tell you by and large where those laborers are going to come from? We have got to bring along some young people in the next generation who understand the power of the gospel and how God could use them to make a difference in their generation. See, Paul needs a Timothy. May I ask you a personal question? Don't answer out loud between you and God. Who's your Timothy? If I put you on the spot tonight and said, stand and tell me who you're mentoring and bringing along and helping and developing and reproducing yourself in, not just to help get your work done, but you're investing in them to multiply yourself in their life, who would that person be? And for the record, let me speak for the young men just a moment. See, I'm caught between generations right now. Brother Skeffy asked me a while ago how old I am. I had to think for a minute. That's when you know you're starting to get old. You had to think. I'm 47. To the old men, I'm a young preacher, and I like that. And to the young people, I'm old now. It's funny how age is so relative, isn't it? I'm sandwiched between the two. 
But may I speak for the young men just for a minute and say, every Timothy I know needs some Paul to pour into his life. Do you know I think it's a satanic strategy to disconnect generations? It's satanic. And I'll tell you why. Because the only thing that passes from generation to generation is truth. And the only way truth passes from generation to generation is one generation who's received it, relays it, and the next generation receives it and relays it. So it's like a spiritual chain reaction. And if at any point the link gets broken, guess what happens? Something in the work of the Lord dead ends. And I will tell you, when old men and young men won't talk to one another, something has broken down in the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God called me to preach as a 12-year-old boy in the hills of West Virginia. The night I surrendered to preach, I'll never forget it. An old man, an old preacher in the back of the church that night, came out in the lobby and put his arm around me. He's with Jesus now, and he said, So, son, God's called you to preach. I said, Yes, sir. He said, Great. Get your first sermon together. You're going to preach next week in a cottage prayer meeting. <laughs> and I remember I said, Hold on. Let's talk about this thing for a minute. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, son, if you don't start serving God now, you probably never will. And I got my first sermon. It was pitiful, let me tell you. You know what I preached on? How on earth? I must have found an outline in a book somewhere. I preached on the Holy Spirit. What on earth did I know about preaching on the Holy Spirit? It lasted all about five or six minutes. I knew a lot, you know. And I stood in front of the front door of Mr. and Ms. Logan's living room. All those senior citizens. He was in a hospital bed. All those senior citizens. I can see him now circling the room. Looked like the Sanhedrin looking at me, you know. And, and they sat there just as pleasant, nodded their head and smiled. And I bumbled my way through it. And when I finally finished, they got in line. And hugged my neck. And told me it was the greatest sermon they'd ever heard in their life. And I was the next Billy Sunday. They lied is what they did. And they helped a young preacher. I'm thinking of people who've invested in my life. I wouldn't be here tonight if it wasn't for those people. And when I see young men become ungrateful for the investment others have made in their life, I say, something's off now, something's off. Do you understand? Paul, you need a Timothy. God knows that, and he's got somebody for you. And Timothy, heaven knows you need a Paul. You don't got all the answers. You want God to use your life? Let somebody pour into your life. I'll tell you, one of the gospel partners is every one of us needs a Timothy. That's not all. Let me show you a second one. By the way, when the Holy Ghost prompts you, write a name down. That's your business, all right? I don't know who your Timothy is. That's between you and God. Look at verse 4. Do you all believe words matter? Especially in the Word of God, right? So every time I stop, you say the next word. Ready? Acts 16, verse 4. And as they, mark that in your Bible, went through the cities. What's the next word? They delivered them the decrees for to keep. Look at verse 6. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia. Verse 7. And they were come to Mysia. What's the next word? They essay to go to Bithynia, verse 8, and they passing by Mysia, 
They, 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 they. Somebody said, you're just giving a grammar lesson. Well, it's God's grammar, so hold on just a minute, all right? Who's writing? Somebody tell me. Who's writing Acts? Luke is, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's writing about them, they. Paul and the missionary team. Paul and Timothy. Paul and the, the men who are traveling with him. And then something amazing happens. Verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. By the way, they're still crying out for that. And after he had seen the vision, immediately, what's the next word, class? Now, how many of you think something just changed here? Don't miss the subtle shift the Holy Spirit shows us. They becomes what? We. You know what really happened? Luke got off the bench and got in the game. He goes from being a spectator to a participant, from describing what they're doing for the gospel's sake, to saying, you know, I want to get involved in this myself. Write a second thing down on your gospel partner's list. You got some young man, some younger person to invest in, and then you have those with varying gifts. You do understand we're not all the same, right? The longer I live, the more grateful I am that God made us all unique and gifted us uniquely. Somebody this morning, just this morning, sent me something by old J.C. Ryle, Bishop Ryle, on, um, on the difference between Whitfield and Wesley. It's fascinating. Totally different men, made different, gifted differently, approached it differently. Let me ask you a question. Did God use both of them? Yes, he did. Frankly, sometimes we put God in our box. So if a man's not gifted exactly like we're gifted, then pff, I don't see how the Lord could use him. Think on that just a minute. How does God use any of us? And this is what struck me. Paul's a preacher. Paul's a philosopher. Paul's an educated man with the, the modern equivalent of about three PhDs, could talk circles around you and debate on any subject. And who is Luke? A medical doctor. I'm going to tell you what would revolutionize most churches is if the medical doctors in the pew realized that their work could be connected to God's work. You want a gospel awakening? Stop trying to do it all yourself and find you a Luke and say, son, let me tell you how God might could use you right where you are to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Who is it that God has providentially placed right there in front of you? For the gospel's sake. And they're still sitting on the pew. They're never going to stand on the platform. They're never going to preach a sermon. They're never going to sing like these men sang. But they can do something for the gospel's sake. I think honestly, if we would get more open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God, and we're about to come to that in just a moment, maybe the Spirit of God would show us some entry points for the gospel in our community that we never thought about. It's a little different, but it's the Lord's way of taking people that He's blessed and gifted uniquely and letting that be a conduit for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel partnership. Here's a third one. This one's really important. Don't miss this one. If you miss the whole list, please put a star next to this one. The Holy Spirit. The greatest partner, the gospel witness, or the gospel preacher has is the Spirit of the living God. Oh, I need the Holy Spirit. I need Him right now. And so do you. I need Him. Do you know how miserable it is to preach without the enabling power of the Holy Spirit? You ever been there? Am I the only one that's ever been there? It's like wading through molasses, isn't it? 
miserable. And then there are those glorious moments when the Lord just goes, and heaven's wind blows. You can't even explain it. It's like you're just carried along. And you think, that wasn't me. And the Lord says, good, I'm glad you know that. They must have the Holy Spirit. Somebody said, well, Paul must have had some kind of strategy going into Philippi. Let me show you a strategy. Look at verse 6. He was forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. That doesn't sound spiritual, does it? The Holy Spirit said no. There's probably somebody in this room recently. The Holy Ghost has said no to you, and you're, you're worried about it and fussing about it. Just know this. The Spirit of God knows better than we do. Now look, please, at verse number 7. After they were come to Mysia, they said to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. So I love this. First the Holy Spirit says no, and then the Holy Spirit just stops them. You do understand he's in the no's and the yeses, right? Watch this. All the open doors can't be God's doors. Increasingly, I'm, I'm realizing that I've got to have the Holy Spirit's wisdom to know not what I could do, but what I should do. Somebody says, that's a great idea. No great idea ever brought revival. No great revival. No, no great revival came out of an idea. It comes from the working of the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, I think we could do that. Well, we might could, but is that what God wants? Now, what was Paul's aim? His aim was to get to Asia. And at first glance, you'd think, well, the Lord must not want the people in Asia saved. For the record, I'm a whosoever will man. I believe God loves all people and Christ died for every man. And the free offer of eternal life must be preached to all. Salvations of the Lord, no doubt about that. But I still believe in the whosoever will of the gospel. So you can't convince me he didn't want the people in Asia saved. Matter of fact, I think I can prove it to you. And, you know, God's ways are so much higher than our ways. Did it ever dawn on you that the first convert in Philippi was from Asia? She was not from Philippi. She was from Thyatira. Where was Thyatira? Asia. This is beautiful to me. If we could see from God's perspective, like we think we know what to do, we're going to make it happen. And the Lord says, stop it. I got my own plan. You just go with my flow here. And I love this. At the same place, God opened the gospel to Europe and Asia at the same time. Isn't it just like the Lord to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or even think? What a Savior. And keep, keep looking at it. Look at verse number 10. Assuredly gathering. Look at the last part of it. That the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. The Holy Ghost says no, the Holy Ghost says no, and then praise God, the Holy Ghost says yes. Isn't it nice when the Holy Ghost says yes? But you know what it takes? I must walk in the Spirit. Let me just tell you, that's the hardest thing to do every day. Preaching sermons is not the hard thing. Dealing with people is not the hard thing. Say, that's the hard thing. No, it's not the hard thing. The hardest thing I have to do every day is keep myself walking in step with the Holy Ghost. And here's what I've learned. When you walk in step of the Holy Spirit, he takes care of the other stuff. When I get ahead of him, bad. When I fall behind him, really bad. But when I'm walking in step with the Spirit of God as a partner in the yoke together, there's nothing like it. Because God opens doors you couldn't open in a thousand lifetimes. God can do more one Sunday 
than you could in 10 years of Sundays in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, you know the church of Thessalonica, the model church? You, did you know Paul only ministered there for three weeks? Let that sink in. Somebody said, oh, we need a long, look, three weeks, God turned that thing upside down and built the model church. The Lord is not limited by anything but our unbelief and our disobedience. We must partner with the Holy Ghost. And for the record, when I say partner with the Holy Ghost, he's in charge of the work crew. We're just on the work crew. Let me give you two great verses to connect in your thinking. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and said, We are laborers together, what? With God. Mark 16 says that when the disciples went out, the Holy Spirit worked with them. So let me ask you a question. Do we work with God or does God work with us? Yes. This is beautiful. When you get in on what God is doing, the Holy Ghost begins to get in on what you're doing where you are. When I, when I find out what the Spirit of God wants, and I'll just tell you what the Spirit of God wants. You say, you know, mm -hmm, it's in the Word. He wants to talk about Jesus. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. If the Holy Ghost right here tonight, we said, Holy Spirit, you speak. The Holy Spirit said, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me just testify for a minute. As an evangelist, every week, different kinds of meetings. You know, this is a pastor's meeting in, in um, Oregon. It's a youth conference, and next week's a stewardship conference, and lots of different kinds of meetings. And I, I, like, I like variety and different preaching, different sections of Scripture and all of that. But I'm just going to tell you, when you start talking about Jesus, there's nothing like it. I can't explain it to you. It's just like the one that lives on the inside starts jumping up and down because that's what the Spirit of God wants to talk about. Oh, the glories of the gospel. Friend, when you get beyond the gospel, you've missed the whole thing. Let the Spirit say what He wants to say. Let Him lift up Jesus. And when Christ is lifted up, He will do the drawing work. He will do the saving work. He will do the reviving work when we partner with the Holy Spirit. There's a fourth one. Put this one on your list. We partner with people of prayer, prayer partners. Did you ever notice that in Philippi, every time God did something big, it was always at prayer time? Let me show you what I'm talking about. First convert, Lydia, verse number 13, on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. This is fascinating to me. The first convert gets saved in a prayer meeting. Maybe we ought to give more attention to prayer meetings. I was telling the pastor earlier today, I was in a, I was in a church earlier this year, and I'm telling on myself, but I, I showed up on Saturday night, and frankly, I wasn't, I wasn't overly expectant about the meeting. Just not overly expectant. Shame on me. And I got up and preached on Sunday morning, and I can't explain it to you. There was nothing special about the preaching. When the invitation was given, it was like heaven sat down on the place. I mean, I'm standing on the platform watching people respond to the gospel, and I just, I was overwhelmed with it. 
One old man from the back of the building in, a, in his suit, carrying a Bible, walked down the outside aisle, came to the pastor. Pastor later told him, he said, that man's been in this church for decades. He said, I've never seen him respond to anything. He said, he came to the front, shook the preacher's hand, and said, preacher, I've never been born again. I want to be saved today. And look, you can't orchestrate that kind of thing. And when it was done, I said to the pastor, something different here. I said, what did you do to prepare for this meeting? He said, 60 days ago, the men of the church and I got together and decided we were going to really fervently pray. And all those people getting right with God was because somebody prayed. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray. That's not all. I'll come down to verse number 16. When did, the, when did the little girl with the spirit of divination get delivered? Look at verse 16. It came to pass as we went to what? Oh, wait a minute. Now, it was prayer time when Lydia got saved, and it's prayer time when the damsel gets delivered. And then come over, please, to verse number 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas what? Sounds to me like this is a pattern. Pray, pray, pray. I love it. And every time people really prayed, God worked. You know one of the grandest things you'll ever do in your church? Get the people praying. I don't mean talk about it. I mean get them praying. I remember a Monday night prayer meeting in Knoxville. It was one of the greatest. No, it is the greatest prayer meeting I've ever been in. That, that Monday night. We had it every week. The greatest prayer meeting I was ever in was on a Monday night. A pastor really kind of took the, the model, the idea of it from Spurgeon's time. They would have a one-hour prayer meeting at the church on a different night. And we had soul winning that night, but we had a one-hour prayer meeting before we'd go witnessing. And it was nothing but prayer. He didn't preach to us. He'd, he'd read a verse maybe and give a little prompt. And we'd pray through lots of needs and lots of things. And it was good, really good. One Monday night, I'll never forget this as long as I live. He came in, the Curtis Edson Chapel, and... He walked to the microphone. I don't even know. I don't think he even read a scripture that night. And he said to the people that were gathered there, I was sitting in the back on this side. And he said, I just believe tonight we're all supposed to pray for souls. He said, so let's not waste any time. He said, men, women can pray. Don't pray long prayers, but let's, let's pray by name tonight for people who need Jesus. That's all he said. And for an hour, he never got up again. He sat down on the front row. I'll never forget it. A young woman on this side stood and began to weep. And I remember her prayer. She prayed for somebody by name. Oh, God, wherever he is tonight, speak to him. She sat down. And another, and another, and another, and, an and it went on for an hour. About halfway through the prayer meeting, I opened my eyes. I, I thought, I just got to see you, and the Lord's among us, you know. It was a holy hush over the place. And do you know in the weeks that followed that, there were spiritual stirrings and people saved and prodigals brought back. And, and I just thought to myself, I wonder what would happen if we all really prayed like that. So look at your list. You've you got young people to invest in and people with varying gifts and the Holy Ghost of God that lives in you, your great prayer partner. People of prayer, number five, the fellow labors God has already given you. Look at verse 19. When our masters saw the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas. Would you mark Paul and Silas in verse 19? 
And then come down to verse 25. And at midnight, who's in jail? Paul and what? Silas. And this was what struck me. Barnabas is gone now. Barnabas is gone now. How many of you think the Paul-Barnabas era was a good era? And then there's that little contention, you know. And it makes no point to get into who was right. The Lord will tell us someday. This is what struck me. Barnabas is gone, but instead of Paul spending all of his time worrying about Barnabas leaving or talking about how bad Barnabas was, you know what he did? He just found him another gospel laborer and went to work and started right where he was. May I just be very transparent for a moment and say some of us need to get over Barnabas and thank God for Silas. He's there, isn't he? He's right there with you, isn't he? Then say by the grace of God, hey, buddy, you might not be Barnabas, but I sure am glad you know Jesus. Let's work together to get the gospel out. That's, that's gospel partnership. That's a friendship for the gospel's sake. And then uh, come down to verse number 15. Let me show you a sixth one. We'll add a sixth one to the list. New believers. Verse 15 is Lydia. When she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So Lydia gets saved. What is the first thing she does? She opens her house to the gospel preachers. Now, let me just tell you something. When people open their house to the preacher, God's probably opened their heart, wouldn't you think? I mean, something changed here. She said, come to the house. Cornelius said, tell the whole family how to be saved. Come down, please, would you please, in verse 32. They preached to the jailer. They spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. When he brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God, say it please, with all his house. Number six, write this down. Start with the new believers you have. Can I tell you that the greatest gospel open doors you'll ever have are through those who just got saved? Would you like to know why? Two reasons. Number one, they still know lost people. And number two, they're still excited about being saved. And frankly, some of us are so insulated now, we know a bunch of Christian people, and we've let the wonder of the joy of his salvation wear off. I'll tell you, look, you want to see some ripples made? Just get somebody saved and following Christ in baptism and start with them and say, let's go talk to your family. Let's go talk to your neighbors. You work with anybody that needs Jesus? Do I ever, buddy. You ought to hear them talk. That's the people we want to go talk to. Take me to see them. Would you like to know what that is? They don't know anything. They don't know how to read a hymn book. They can't find Jude in the Bible. They don't know all the religious cliches yet, and maybe that's good. But they know Jesus, and they want other people to be saved. Dear God, give us a good dose of that. You want a gospel partnership? Start with some of the new people. They may not know everything, but they know the Lord, and God can use them to establish a beachhead for the gospel of Jesus Christ. One more, and I'll stop tonight. Number seven, the whole church. <laughs> Did you ever notice how the chapter ends? We start with verse one. Let's go to the end of the chapter. Then you can say we preach the whole chapter, all right? 
Look at verse 40. When they go out of the prison, they entered in the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, you ever wonder who the brethren were? That's the church. There was a little primitive church. I don't know how big it was. Met in Lydia's house. Uh, but the brethren were there. Watch this. They comforted them and departed. Let me tell you what the real aim ought to be. You ready for this? Evangelism shouldn't be something we do on Tuesday night. I'm for the Tuesday night. Don't get me wrong. But witnessing is not a Saturday sport. The gospel is to permeate every believer and every part of our lives every day. And the greatest thing that ever happens in our churches is when every believer starts to get stirred up and excited about getting the gospel to somebody. Now, you told me today, about a woman in this church, you could be here tonight, they got stirred up about speaking to somebody about the Lord, and today had an opportunity to talk to somebody about Christ. That's thrilling to me. I got a message. I got a message when I got back to the room last night from a woman that lives in Montana who watched the services last night. And she said, in the middle of the message, she said, I got under such conviction about my neighbor. She said, I paused your old church service and walked across the apartment and talked to her about the Lord. She said, I came back and watched the rest of the message later. And I, you know what I said? I said, praise God. I'd rather obey the Holy Spirit than listen to the rest of my sermon. You know what we need? We need God's people to get excited about telling people about Jesus again. That kind of gospel partnership will make an impact for eternity. November the 7th, 2022, year ago tomorrow, I was preaching in Iowa, a church I'd not been in before. Really, I didn't know the people. And I was sitting in a hotel room by myself about lunchtime on a video call with hundreds of preachers. And my role was leading a prayer or something. And, and my phone vibrated and I looked down and it said the name Jocelyn Trail. And I, I ignored it. And about two minutes later, it buzzed again, same name. My, one of my best friends, my closest partner in the gospel was her husband. Living in a very difficult place in the Middle East, serving and passionate about just trying to tell people about Jesus. And I knew when I saw her call, something, something wasn't right. I just hung up the phone with him 15 minutes before. 15 minutes before. And when I called it back, she was weeping. And, and she said, I, I think he's gone to be with Jesus. It was my age. Four beautiful children. And just like that, life snuffed out. Taken. Last thing I said to him I, that I remember before we hung up, it's like a brother, like a brother I never had. Last thing I said to him was, I love you. We talked every day, sometimes two or three times a day. The last thing he said to me that I remember, we were talking about a project we were working on. He was so excited about it. Everything we've done, the, the daily podcast, the, the books, the 
everything has his fingerprints on it and his heart in it. Nobody knew how invested, personally invested he was just with the gospel. All behind the scenes. And we were talking about a project and he was so excited about it. He was always excited about everything. And I'll never forget, this is what he said to me. It rings in my ears. He said, Scott, like he came through the phone, Scott, we've just got to do more. And little did he know, in about 15 or 20 minutes, he was going to be with Jesus. Can't do anymore. His race is run. The work was done. But I can't. I'm still here, you see. And there's a work to do. And I've made up my mind, I'm not going to whine my way to the rapture and talk about how bad it is. Not when I've got the good news. Not going to do that. I'm not going to meet Jesus and stand next to the martyrs and try to explain why I let my culture cause me to cower in a corner somewhere and be ashamed of Jesus. If God will help me, I want to give the rest of my life to the gospel. And I'm praying that somehow the Lord will raise up an army of gospel partners. Father, thank you for your word, for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we shall never perish. <laughs> oh, blessed be the Lord. How many of you really know you're saved? Would you raise both hands to heaven for just a moment? Hold them high. And just in your heart say to the Lord, thank you for saving me. The Bible says we're to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. When was the last time you just said to God, praise your holy name? for saving me. You may lower your hands, and I must ask this question. Is there anyone among us tonight that would say, Preacher, I'm not a Christian, but I, I want to be. I'm not saved, but I need to be. And I'm not going to take for granted everybody in this room knows Jesus. You say, I really need to be saved and settle it. Would you raise your hand in the air with mine? You say, that's me, Preacher. Pray for me. God's speaking to me. You say, I need to be saved tonight. Pray for me. Anyone at all looking carefully. Then best I can tell, I'm speaking to believers. So let's just get down to it, shall we? Let's start here. How many of you can think of somebody who gave you the gospel? Some gospel partner that did their part. You've got a name, a face that comes to your mind right now. How many of you got somebody like that? Would you raise your hand? Would you thank God for them right now? Just thank God for them. If they're still alive, why don't you pray for them right now? The woman that led me to Jesus, still alive. God bless her. I've been years now. Lord bless that sweet woman. Multiply her fruit in heaven. How many of you would be honest and say, 
I've not been as consumed with the gospel as I ought to be, but I'd like to be one of those gospel partners. And God's just convicted me about my own witness and my own passion and burden. Preacher, that's me. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand? Tell the Lord that right now. Just go ahead and tell him from your heart in your own words. Just say to the Lord, help me, Lord. Light the fire in me again. Get me out of my rut. Let's turn it inside out for a minute. We made our list. Did you think of a Timothy? Did you think of a prayer partner? Did you think of a Luke? A Lydia? Did you think of something in your own congregation, something in your church, some emphasis? How many of you are thinking of somebody right now God's brought to your mind tonight? You need to come alongside or bring them alongside you and say, look, let's labor together in the gospel. How many of you are thinking of somebody like that? Would you raise your hand? Pray for them right now. And if you don't have somebody in mind, pray God will give you someone. Would you do that right now? Just pray. Lord, give me somebody. Show me who Silas is. Show me who I can invest in. Oh, Lord, we're just binding our hearts together tonight and praying, dear God in heaven, raise up an army of laborers. This part of the country, Lord, sweet, precious people and beautiful as it can be. For every church represented in this room, there needs to be a hundred more. Lord God Almighty, send forth laborers into this harvest. You must love this area more than we do. Touch some young men and some old ones too. And shake us loose, Lord. And send us forth. Look this way for a moment. I didn't say amen. Here's how we're going to end tonight. Here's our, here's our closing prayer. In a moment, I'm going to ask all of you to find somebody that you don't know. You know, it's funny. People don't like to do this in your church, but preachers don't like to do it either. But I'm going to ask every minister in this room, find you a, find you a preacher that you don't know well. Or, or, or it doesn't even have to be a preacher. Find a man... A bunch of members of this church are here tonight. I'm glad. Find you a man. You ladies, find you another lady to pray with. Somebody you don't know well. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them what God's speaking to you about for the gospel's sake. Just tell them. And then I want the two of you to pray together. How many of you think if we're going to partner back home, we might should get a little practice tonight? So I want you to find a moment of prayer partner, somebody you can just say, pray for me. Help me pray for this lost person. Help me pray for this in our church. Or help me pray for this in my own life. Now, you might be amazed how God even puts people together, even in this room tonight, let you talk to somebody, connect with somebody, pray with somebody. You never know what God is doing. I love to watch God work. There's nothing like it. And really what I want you to do is agree together in prayer tonight for a great gospel advance and encourage each other. How many of you know everybody needs encouragement right now? So I'm going to ask you tonight, put your arm around somebody and say, hey, let's pray together. If you want to come kneel together or kneel there together or sit together, stand together, whatever you want to do, whole place is going to be one big altar. Just don't go far because